Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We're a little bit later today than we usually are. My apologies. It's been a bit of a crazy week here, but we are back on track, and we're talking about the box office, and we're talking about the secrets of Dumbledore, and the secret may be out that the Wizarding World has lost a lot of its box office luster. We're going to look at the somewhat disappointing opening weekend for the latest Wizarding World film. I'm also going to go into some of my theories about why it opened so low and perhaps how Warner Brothers could have avoided this low opening. But before we get to any of that, I want to thank, as always, my partner here on the show, Carbon Health. If you don't know what Carbon Health is, then you haven't been tuning in quite so much because we've been partners for quite some time. And the reason that I love being a partner with Carbon Health is because they are committed to providing accessible and affordable health care to as many people as they possibly can. You can look up a Carbon Health location if there's one near you. There's one in over a dozen states. There's also the Carbon Health app, which offers virtual appointments so that you can access their network of doctors. I'm very proud to be a partner with them because I really do feel like they're committed to providing better health care to everyone that they possibly can. So thank you as always to Carbon Health for their support and their partnership here on the show. Let's look at the box office top five for this past weekend. And as I mentioned, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is number one, but it is sort of an empty number one victory. It actually came in lower than the estimates yesterday. And, and that's unusual because if anything, the estimates from a studio will usually maybe undercount it. So you don't have to say like, oh, the movie made less than we thought it would. Uh, but that was actually the case kind of across the board yesterday, Easter Sunday here uh, and around the world wasn't exactly a very strong movie going day or not as strong as many had anticipated. So it comes in at $42.1 million. That is the lowest opening in the history of the Wizarding World franchise, which encompasses the Harry Potter films as well as the Fantastic Beasts films. There's a lot to break down going into these numbers, but let's look first of all at happier times. These are the top five Wizarding World openings, so you kind of know how far Fantastic Beasts has fallen. Number one is, and these are these are domestic numbers, number one is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, which at that time set the record for the highest opening weekend gross of all time with just under $170 million. Then you have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One, followed by Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and then the OG Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, with just over $90 million at number five. By the way, in case you didn't notice, all My Movies is back. It's my podcast, and I did a special preview episode that came out last week that was all about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. If you want to watch that and listen to it, it's right up there in the little corner thing. You can click that. Uh, I'm very happy to have All My Movies back, and you can get an exclusive preview about what's to come on that show. You know me, and you know that I don't like to just let sleeping dogs lie when it comes to box office over many years, so let's look at the Wizarding World openings when it comes to adjusted for inflation numbers, and that changes things up up a little bit. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 still lands in the number one spot. When you adjust that for inflation, it's just under $200 million at the opening weekend box office. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire then comes in at number two with $144 million adjusted, followed by Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone with $143 million. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 still makes the list with $142.7 million. And then we have the second Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with $137 million. So when you adjust that for inflation, that is uh, an even further indicator of how far these movies have fallen. Each Fantastic Beasts film has opened less than the one before. We saw that pattern a little bit in the Harry Potter films as we got into the middle. We're 
talking Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, but it was a curve like this. It was a U-shaped curve, and eventually those movies recovered, plus the fact that none of them were ever really considered box office disappointments. It was just that the urgency over the opening weekend dipped over time. That has not been the case with the Fantastic Beasts film. For example, the last film, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, had a final number around $600 million worldwide, but it had a budget around $200 million. And when you talk about one of these big budget films with all of the advertising and promotion, even that three times multiple gets a little dicey because, yeah, you're probably making some money, but you're not making the kind of money that you would like to, especially in a franchise with The Wizarding World that has crossed a billion dollars uh, on more than one occasion. So why did Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, open so low? Well, the answer partially, I think, lies in who was actually going to the movies this weekend to see it. So what I did was I pulled the demographic data for both gender uh, and age for not just The Secrets of Dumbledore, but two big openers in the last several weeks, The Batman and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And these are not apples to apples comparisons, but it's just a general idea of what the audience looked like. First of all, there in blue is the 18 to 34 demo. You see 62% of the audience for the Batman was in that 18 to 34 demographic. Only 46% for Sonic the Hedgehog 2, but that's because a large number of the audience were kids that were under 18. And then you have 57% of the demographic for the Secrets of Dumbledore. So we don't have a huge disparity as far as the 18 to 34 demographic. Although the exit results for the Secrets of Dumbledore indicate that the audience that was not in that 18 to 34 demographic was largely older and not younger. Then let's look at the breakdown by gender. You can see that the Batman drew 65% male audiences on its opening weekend, 61% male audiences on Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and then a 44% male audience for The Secrets of Dumbledore. As a matter of fact, this was a female-driven film. 56% of the audience for The Secrets of Dumbledore were female, compared to only 35% for The Batman and 39% for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So that's the first thing that I was going to look at was, we've talked about this on the show before, these big opening weekends especially tend to be driven by young male audiences. So is that part of the reason why The Secrets of Dumbledore didn't open as big? Because it had a largely female audience. I actually don't think that's the case, and here's why. It's because we have seen success in this very franchise by films that drive a largely female audience, and you don't have to go that far back. Remember when I said Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 was the biggest box office opening weekend of all time? Well, its audience was 54% female. So the Harry Potter franchise, particularly at the end of its run, was also heavily female skewing, and yet that film was able to open to the highest box office weekend of all time. So for me, then, it goes to the age demographics. And this is where I think you have a huge disparity uh, when it comes to this film versus a lot of the films that are breaking older. Remember, Older audiences tend to go to the movies either not at all at this point or certainly not rush out on opening weekend. Let's look at the percent of the audience that was over the age of 25. So Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, 54% of the audience were female, 55% were over the age of 25. If we jump forward to Fantastic Beasts, that number jumps up 10%. 65% of the audience for the first weekend of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them in 2016 was over the age of 25. You dip down a little bit for The Crimes of Grindelwald, only 52% of the audience for that film was over 25, but that also was not a particularly well-received film. Now let's look at The Secrets of Dumbledore. It's the highest number yet for a Wizarding World film, 70% of the audience 
was over the age of 25 for The Secrets of Dumbledore. And I think that is the key for why these films are not opening as big as they used to and why they're not making as much money. The audience for Harry Potter slash Wizarding World films is getting older. And it doesn't seem like they're recruiting a younger audience to replace those that are not going to the movies as much that may have lost interest in the franchise over time because it happens. Usually you see with the Marvel films, etc., you have older fans, people like me that were around during the Sam Raimi Spider-Man days who all rushed out to the theater the first weekend to see that. And then over time, you replace them with the people that are fans of the Tom Holland Spider-Man or the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man that will then go in and still rush out to the theaters, plus building on this legacy fandom with people that are older than them. What I think we're seeing here with the Wizarding World fandom is that you're not bringing Bringing in new people and I think part of it may be because you're going backwards in time and you're focusing on the older characters like Dumbledore and like Grindelwald and even Newt Scamander none of them are school age characters they're all adult characters and that doesn't mean that young kids don't like movies about adults most of the Avengers for example are adults but I think what it means is you're not really getting that new younger audience when it comes to these stories and my guess is that there's probably an analyst or two uh, over at Warner Brothers that is very frustrated because you know it just took me an afternoon of looking at these numbers and saying like well that's what the issue is the reason that you're not having huge openings is because your audience is older that's generally how it works and I'm not saying also that you can't make films for older audiences but I think what you do have to do if you're in charge of the wizarding world is to look at the returns look at what happened with crimes of Grindelwald look at the audience which is again largely female skewing older not quite as old as Fantastic Beasts but skewing older and Fantastic Beasts made good money but not quote-unquote Harry Potter money Honestly, I think there should have been someone at Warner Brothers in a power position that should have looked at these numbers and said, okay, we need to do one of two things. We need to alter this storytelling to make it appeal more to a younger audience so we can try to boost these numbers up and really bring out the young audience, particularly on the opening weekend. Or we can adjust our budgeting. We can say, hey, let's not make this movie for $200 million. Let's make this movie for $100 million or $150 million because that's the other thing. These Fantastic Beasts films have all had the budgets of Harry Potter movies, around $200 million. So really the situation that you have with these movies is you have an audience that's getting older that is progressively coming out less and less to see these movies, but they're not changing anything. They didn't change any approach in the storytelling. They didn't change any approach in the budgeting. Now, what this means for the Harry Potter franchise going forward, I think it's unlikely that we're going to see two more Fantastic Beasts films, as has been planned, without a radical change in direction or story, which at this point is very difficult to do. Going on from here, I think if you're going to make Harry Potter films, you have to go back and say, what was it that made not just the people that already liked Harry Potter, but what was it that made people fall in love with Harry Potter in the first place? Was it Hogwarts? Was it relating to the young characters? Do you need to look at that direction? Or do you just say, hey, you know what? We made so much money with this franchise as far as movies go. We have theme parks, we have merchandise, we're making money in a lot of different ways. Maybe movies isn't one of the ways to do that. I don't know the answer to that, but this movie is kind of like getting hit by a Hogwarts Express that you can see coming down the tracks because all of this data was trending in the direction in which it went. And it seems like everybody knew what the problems with these movies were. 
but the changes they did weren't quite drastic enough. Looking at the rest of the box office weekend, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in its second week, dropping 59%, which is actually for a family film a little steeper than I would have anticipated. I think this also just kind of points to a general decline in audience going uh, over the weekend. Maybe a lot of people spending time with their families, uh, particularly yesterday. $29.3 million. It's uh, still looking good. We'll see how it does in the next uh, few weeks. Although that, that second week drop, uh, surprising for me, I would have put it maybe around more of the 50% range. The Lost City, as I mentioned before, still hanging around uh, at 31%, a 31% drop-off with just over $6.2 million. Adding a lot of theaters and a little bit of business was everything, everywhere, all at once. In its fourth week, it jumps into the top five. It actually was plus 2% from last week. That's because it jumped into full wide release, over 2,000 theaters, with a $6.1 million take. So that's one of those movies that has gone from limited release to extremely wide release and somewhat successfully a top five film. And then the Mark Wahlberg film Father Stew with $5.4 million, although that's a little deceptive because it actually actually opened on Wednesday. So its total probably would have been in the number three-ish area if it had actually opened on Friday. It just got that extra day, uh, two days jump on the box office. So that is your top five, the Batman exiting the top five, Morbius exiting the top five in just its third weekend. So that movie's a steep decline continues. Looking at the road to recovery, last week we were saying, hey, this might be able to take an uptick if Fantastic Beast does well. Well, it didn't do well. And so we saw a dip in the box office, which as you can see this time of year is very common. Now we are coming up in about two weeks on a huge spike because we have Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness we'll see if that weekend can spike above the average of around 200 million dollars that we see in that late april early may marvel movie opening weekend so when we look back on the spring we had a big bump uh, with the Batman, we had a nice bump with Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and a couple of uh, uh, nice hits there in the middle. But the next big box office bump that we're looking for is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And then, of course, uh, some big high-profile movies opening this summer, including Top Gun Maverick, the new Jurassic World movie, etc. When we look at the box office market share, again, this is not something that I think that Warner Brothers would have preferred uh, coming out of this weekend because their market share actually does not change. Despite opening a movie at number one, they still maintain 25% of the yearly market share. That's partially because Paramount, due to the sustained success of both The Lost City and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, was able to pick up 2% market share over the weekend. Disney, Fox, and Universal losing a couple percentage points there. But, you know, you would think if you were a Warner Brothers executive and you have a, a Wizarding World film open, that you may be able to grab some of that market share away from the other studios. Not the case. It stays exactly where it was last week because it was offset by the successes that other studios have already had and are continuing to have. One victory that is good for theater owners is the per theater average, because even if it didn't meet Warner Brothers' expectations, I'm sure that you don't mind $10,000 worth of business coming through the door, because that's what each of the 4,200 theaters that were showing Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore, saw this past weekend. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number two with $6,800 per theater. The Indian film KGF Chapter 2, we'll talk more about this one later, in just 510 theaters brings in $5,600 per theater. Playing in one theater, a film out of Italy called The Tale of King Crab 
brought in $5,000. And then in only three theaters, a movie that was a breakout hit in Sundance of 2021. So we're talking now about uh, 15 months ago. Uh, we're all going to the World's Fair. That will soon be streaming on HBO Max. But for now, it is available in three theaters. That brought in $4,200 per theater. Looking at the films that were in limited release, so these are movies that were in 1,000 theaters or fewer, KGF Chapter 2 was number one, bringing in a very strong number, 2.8, almost $2.9 million in just over 500 theaters. So we continue to see the targeted success of Indian cinema, specific theaters knowing when and where to program these films to uh, very good results for them. Another film out of India, Beast, in just 368 theaters, posts $430,000. The Karen Gillan film, Duel, which came out of this year's Sundance Film Festival, posted $118,000 in 157 theaters. The 25th anniversary of Selena, which topped the limited release chart last week, is at number four this week with $42,000 in 100 theaters. And the documentary Waterman in 42 theaters stays on the chart with just over $40,000 per theater. Looking at the top 10 grocers this year in limited release, we have BTS Permission to Dance that stays at number one. Cyrano is at number two, followed by The Worst Person in the World. They've pretty much wrapped up their box office runs. But you see a KGF Chapter 2 in just its first week, debuting at number four on the chart with $2.8 million, so it can make a strong play to be a second-place contender behind Cyrano. Uma drops one spot to number six. Radhashyam drops one to number seven. The 2022 Oscar shorts drop to number eight. The Cashmere Files drop to nine. And the 50th anniversary of The Godfather drops to number 10. We now have 10 limited-release grossing films that were over $1 million uh, in total box office revenue, but that drops out the Beatles Get Back concert event at IMAX, which has been in the top 10 for quite some time. Before we move on, I want to thank today's sponsor, and it's a new sponsor to the show, and that is StoryWorth. Mother's Day is coming up, and if you know anything about me, you know that I have a very close relationship with my mom. She raised me as a single mother, and of course, we've talked a lot over the years, but there's always something else that you can learn, and that's something that I think you learn as you get older, as your family members begin to share more about their lives, is there are stories and sides of their lives that you've never heard about. Well, I've been lucky enough to start collecting those stories now with StoryWorth, and here's how it works. Every week, I set it up so that they will email my mom a question, and I can choose the question that they send. This week I'm asking my mom about her memories of the moon landing because that's obviously an event that I have no memory of whatsoever. After one year, StoryWorth is going to compile all of these memories about my mom's life along with any photos or anything else that she provides, put them into one book and then send it to us as a keepsake to have over the years. I'm just at the beginning of this process and I was actually going through yesterday setting the questions for the next several weeks and it's so much fun because you can go through this database and say oh yeah, well you know what I'm going to ask about her high school this week and next week I'll ask about my grandparents and the next week I'll ask about something historical. They have a huge bank of questions you can choose from. You can also write your own questions. It's so customizable and it will provide the exact family history that is tailored to whatever you want to know about the wonderful people that are in your family. StoryWorth is a meaningful gift for all the moms in your life that you'll both cherish for years and right now for a limited time you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash Merle. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, to save $10 on your first purchase, storyworth.com slash Merle. 
Looking outside the domestic marketplace, let's see what the number one movie was internationally. And it was Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, when you exit the domestic marketplace with $71.7 million, with a close follow-through from KGF Chapter 2 with $67.7 million, followed by Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at $25 million, Beast with a reported $17.8 million, although you see that asterisk there. I cannot confirm that total, and a lot of folks have brought this up, and it's it's all I can say is that I do my best. Indian box office data is very hard to come by. There are prints that circulate in multiple languages, so if there is a number that I can report, I will report that number, uh, whether I can confirm it or not, if I can find a reliable source, at least one behind it. Uh, but I also have to ask for some patience, and a lot of uh, folks that watch the show are very big fans of Indian cinema, and I think that's wonderful. Uh, I would just ask for your patience, because uh, you know I really am doing my best to report the numbers that I get when I get them. It's just not always on the day after. After uh, these big opening weekends worldwide. Wrapping up the international chart is The Lost City with $10.1 million. So when you take the international numbers, you smash them together with the domestic numbers, you get the worldwide box office. And Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore has a $114.7 million weekend. It's not its opening weekend. It's been in several markets, including China, where it didn't do particularly well uh, already. We'll see what its global total is. KGF Chapter 2 has a $70 million worldwide weekend, followed by Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Beast again an unconfirmed total at around 18.1 million and the Lost City at 16.6 million. When we look at the 2022 charts overall, domestically the Batman remains the number 1 film easily with over 365 million dollars. Probably Doctor Strange will be the first thing that could even broach that. Uncharted is at number 2 with 145 million. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 climbs up to number 3 and becomes the third film of 2022 to cross the 100 million dollar mark domestically. It's now made nearly $120 million. That drops Scream down to number four. The Lost City remains at number five. Morbius jumps up two spots to number six, although I don't know how much more it's going to jump up. I think it's going to start dropping down pretty soon. Dog drops down one spot. Jackass Forever drops down one spot. Death on the Nile remains in that ninth spot. And not debuting, I'm sure, as high as Warner Brothers had hoped that it would, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore debuts at number 10 on the domestic box office chart. That means that Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, after a very impressive run just a couple months ago, drops out of the overall 2022 top 10. Looking at the worldwide box office numbers, the Batman is number one worldwide as well. It has now broached the $750 million mark globally, followed by the battle at Lake Shangjin 2, Too Cool to Kill at number three, Uncharted at number four, getting close to that $400 million mark. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 jumps up two spots to number five at $231 million. That drops Nice View down one spot to number six. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore enters the chart. It's earned close to $200 million globally, which is not a small amount of money, but keep in mind it also cost $200 million. So it has a lot of work to do, and it's got its biggest openings behind it. So we'll see what the movie does in the weeks ahead. That drops Booty Bears Back to Earth down two spots to number eight. Morbius jumps up one spot to number nine, and we see Triple R, I believe, returning to the chart at number 10. It's been very much on that cusp of that number 10 number 11 it's back on the chart at number 10 that means that we lose scream and death on the nile both 2022 versions of films that had already come out uh, with the same name both now gone from this year's chart so if you take today's date you rewind it back one year you get a 365 day worldwide box office chart 
And Spider-Man No Way Home, after 122 days in release, remains number one with 1.8, almost $1.9 billion. The Battle at Lake Chungjin is at number two. No Time to Die is at number three. But really inching up on it is the Batman. It has now jumped over F9 to the number four slot with its $751 million gross. F9 now drops down to number five, but I don't really think it's in any danger of not making that 365-day mark. It has less than 40 days to go. The Battle at Lake Chung Gen 2 is at number 6, Venom Let There Be Carnage at number 7, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings at number 8, Too Cool to Kill at number 9, and then entering the chart and actually bumping Eternals off is Sing 2, which I know you may say, wait a minute, that movie came out forever ago. Yes, it did. It came out back in December, but it has been a huge movie globally and domestically. It's had a very long shelf life, and it has stuck around long enough to actually make this chart. It is one of the 10 highest grossing films of the previous 365 days. Now, it would not be eligible for the full chart because it's really only there because we graduated another movie out, uh, unless it were to jump up over a few. It's not going to be on this chart for a terribly long time, but still, seeing Two still moving and shaking its way up these box office charts. And I think if you're Universal, Sing 2 is a shining example of how they can make money in many different ways. Obviously, a big box office hit, a big hit. We've seen all the different streaming charts on premium video on demand where it's been on the charts for weeks, the rental charts, the purchasing charts. Sing 2 may be one of the first quote-unquote post-pandemic money makers in that it exploited so many different ways to earn revenue for Universal. We're not going to know exactly how much it earned in some of the those other avenues, but uh, impressive, a very impressive debut for that movie. Before we go to the streaming charts, I always take a look back at a weekend in box office past, and I have picked this weekend for a couple of different reasons. We're going to look back at April 10th through the 12th, 1998, when the movie City of Angels opened at number one with $15.3 million. Just the week prior, Lost in Space had dethroned Titanic for the first time uh, in several weeks, uh, but City of Angels then became the new box office champ the next weekend, and I picked that for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, Nicholas Cage has a movie coming out this weekend that I'll mention in just a bit that I'm very much looking forward to. So this was an example of Nicolas Cage's 1990s box office might. That late 90s Cage uh, really was commanding uh, those ticket sales. Uh, and also because this was directed by a director named Brad Silberling, who was reportedly, along with Chris Columbus, in line to direct Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Chris Columbus ended up getting the, the job, uh, but it would be interesting to see what would the Wizarding World franchise have looked like if the director of City of Angels, Brad Soberling, had gotten the director's job. We'll never know. As I mentioned, Lost in Space, which had just bumped off Titanic, was barely in number two with $13.3 million. Titanic in its 17th week was at number three with $8.5 million. And then two new movies opening, Species 2, because we just didn't really say enough with that first Species film, opened at number four with $7.2 million. And then the directorial debut, I believe, of Ice Cube, The Players Club, opened at number five with $5.8 million. Looking now at what people are watching at home, we will start with the Amazon Prime charts. Now, these are the movies that are available for Prime subscribers, not for rent on Amazon Prime. A new series starring Josh Brolin, Outer Range, debuts at number one. 
followed by the Amazon original movie All the Old Knives at number two. Reacher season one still sticking around in that top three. It tops The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season four at number four and The Outlaws season one at number five. Upload season one stays at number six. A new movie, The Wilds, comes in at number seven. Then two titles, the only two non-Amazon titles, but also two very closely related to the Easter holiday. The Chosen, which was an independently financed film about uh, Jesus's life. And then The Passion of the Christ, which is an interesting way to celebrate Easter. But, you know, I get it. Uh, That was there at number nine. And then Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, a reality show hit for Amazon, staying in the top ten. Looking at what people are buying and renting on Amazon, Spider-Man No Way Home remains the number one movie. I put the new tag next to it because the rental window has now opened. It's now on physical media as well. I have a copy of it that I can't wait to watch. So it is the number one movie. Infinite, which is a movie starring Mark Wahlberg, who was also in Father Stew in theaters this past weekend, uh, that came out on Paramount Plus last year, now available for purchase and rental. It makes it up to the number two slot. Sing 2 is at number three. Moonfall at number four. The Passion of the Christ makes the iTunes charts as well at number five, followed by an Easter tradition growing up in my house, which was Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments starring Charlton Heston rented and bought at number six. And then we have several holdovers, Marry Me at number seven, The Contractor at number eight, House of Gucci at number nine, and Death on the Nile at number 10. And before we go, let's look at the Netflix charts. These are the Merle metrics that I come up with. I basically measure this by potential finished views. And after two weeks on top, Bridgerton is not at number one. It is instead a Netflix movie called The In-Between with a potential finished view number of 13.9, meaning 13.9 million users could conceivably have finished that movie uh, when you look at hours watched versus the length of it. Very interesting thing about the in-between though is it is on Netflix and almost everywhere in the world except for the United States. It was released on Paramount Plus in the US earlier this year. So this is a number one uh, Netflix program that is driven largely by Netflix accounts that are not United States. Of course, that's a lot of other countries, but that's very rare that you see something that is solely out of the domestic marketplace at number one. Bridgerton season two sees a steep drop off. Last week, its number was around 30. This week's number is around 13.8. I think that just shows you that the fans of that show are watching it immediately. I think we saw a lot of binge watches and second watches ending uh, in this third week of release. So it drops to number two. Furiosa, which is a movie out of Poland, is at number three, followed by The Elite Season 5, which is a Spanish teen drama, I believe, at number four. All Hail is at number five with a number of 6.8, followed by Jimmy Savile, A British Nightmare, which is a show about the disgraced British television show host with a potential finished view number of 6.3 million. I'm sure a lot of Netflix users in the UK watching that. Shrek Forever After hanging around. People love Shrek on Netflix at number 7. 6.2 million more potential finished views for that movie. The Adam Project still hanging around. That was a big Netflix hit as far as numbers and driving viewership. I believe the two biggest weekends so far this year, uh, even when you include Bridgerton at number 8. Yaksa Ruthless Ops is at number 9. That's a film out of South Korea with a PFV number of six and then we have the ultimatum season one which is a new reality show right behind it with a pfv of 5.9 and actually numbers five through ten all very close together 6.8 6.3 6.2 6.16 and 5.9 i think that just means that there's no big bridgerton type thing or red notice type thing that's sucking up the majority of the eyeballs on netflix so things kind of scatter around we see this pattern a lot uh, with netflix in particular And that wraps it up for this week. As I mentioned, it is a very busy week coming up this weekend. We have two of my 
most anticipated movies of 2022 opening on the same weekend. One of them is Robert Eggers' new film, The Northman, which I cannot wait to see. The other one, as I mentioned, starring Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. There are great reviews and buzz on both of these movies from what I've seen. I try not to plug into it too much. I'll be doing a double feature of these films on Thursday. It's going to wrap up late Thursday night, so you can probably look for reviews of both of those movies on Friday. Also opening in wide release, and man, they are marketing the crap out of this movie. It's been available in some international markets for several weeks now, but the animated film The Bad Guys, if I get a chance to see it this weekend, I may also check that out. Opening in limited release, and it's been open in other markets around the world, is Petite Maman, which is the follow-up from Celine Sciamma to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was one of my absolute favorite movies of, I think, 2019. I don't even remember which movies were which. Maybe it was 2020. I just know that it was a wonderful film. I didn't see it before. I did my top 10 list for that particular year, and that would have been very near the top. Uh, so I'm definitely going to be trying to seek that out if it's playing near me. Also, a couple of other films that are opening in limited release. The Duke, which is the final film from director uh, Roger Michel. He did not Hill. Uh, he did Venus with Peter O'Toole. Sadly, he passed away last year. That is a film starring Helen Mirren and Jim Broadbent. A film from Iran called Hit the Road, which has gotten a lot of really positive reviews, is also opening in limited release. And then, you know, we saw earlier on the limited release charts that BTS has the highest limited release theatrical event of the year. Well, we have another K-pop band coming to theaters. It's a two-night event, so it's April 20th, which would not be on the weekend charts, but would count for the overall charts and April 23rd, which will count for the weekend charts. And that is from the K-pop band Seventeen, Power of Love, the movie. I was looking up this band. It has 13 members. I, I mean, how do you even keep them straight? I, I guess I don't have the brains that young people do, but my goodness. I don't think I could keep 13 members of any kind of band straight, but apparently a lot of other people can because Power of Love, the movie, will be hitting in special engagements this weekend. So we'll see if this is another K-pop band that can make a splash in limited release. Very interesting. That wraps things up here on the channel for today. There's a lot of stuff coming up this week. As I mentioned, I've got two movie reviews coming up for The Northman and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. We'll see if I can get around to the bad guys. I also have my review of Moon Knight Episode 4. That'll be coming out on Wednesday morning. Also, Wednesday, believe it or not, is the two-year anniversary of me launching this channel. So keep an eye out. I may do some kind of a special anniversary thing if I get a chance uh, just to celebrate. Uh, keep your eyes on the socials and whatnot and right here on the channel. Plus, you never know what else is going to come out we've got so many things going on thor trailers coming out marvel movies getting scheduled all kinds of fun stuff if i see anything that tickles my fancy i'll shoot out a video and you'll all get to watch it thanks so much for watching this video i want to thank storyworth and of course my partners at carbon health i will be back very soon with more movie news tv news reviews you name it but until then stay safe bye